So this is Christmas. So I like that. Simon, our culture. Simon, our culture for optimism, for sentimentality, for giving and receiving gifts, for Hobby Lobby trips, for eggnog, for Christmas trees, for mistletoe, for Christmas carols, Christmas cards, for Santa Claus. Can somebody kill Elf on the Shelf for me, please? Time for family. Time that all in the world is good, and yet when you look at the headlines in the news cycle, the headlines don't change. Just yesterday, I just pulled some headlines from yesterday's news just to encourage you. Here are the headlines. Abandoned Alaskan children. Five-year-old carries toddler half mile in sub-zero temperatures. Shooting leaves four dead at Florida Naval Base. Iran killed more than 1,000 citizens in recent protests. Potential articles of impeachment outlined. Why global measles cases are surging. Disease-threatening deer population spreads to 26 states. That hurts your deer hunters here. You just lived through the warmest decade ever, and it's getting hotter. The fastest start to the flu season in 15 years. Everybody says amen. You felt that one. Last, North Korea warns U.S. to prepare for unwelcome Christmas gift. Merry Christmas to us, right? See, we live in a broken world, even at a time of Christmas. That doesn't change. There is abuse, betrayal. There is conflict. There is the cloud of brokenness that still looms even in a Christmas season. And to the skeptic, Christmas is, just seems like a worthless exercise in sentimentality and optimism. It's just a hiatus from the brokenness of the world. See also the Grinch. See also Ebenezer Scrooge. See Christians, though, that we know different, don't we? We have a bigger hope than the sentimentality and the optimism of a Christmas season of giving and sharing of gifts and family. We know that Christmas is more than that. Christmas reminds us as believers in Christ, it reminds us of our sure and lasting hope that we have. The promise of Messiah to come. It gives us reason for the season. It enables us to see past this news cycle to hope. What about you? What's on your personal news cycle this Christmas season? What are the hurts and the pains that you are walking through this season? And where is your hope? See, we're going to look this morning at a hope beyond brokenness to remind us of the hope that we have. But to do that, we want to go back to the beginning, back to an Old Testament Christmas. We'll be in the Garden of Eden this morning, and next week we'll be in the prophets, and then we'll come to the Gospels in the following week. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, and we'll particularly be in verses 14 and 15. We'll read through verse 20. Um, And you know the story. Most of you know the story of the creation account where God breaks through and he creates this world. And in chapters 1 and 2, you see everything is good. It's all good. And then chapter 3, the scene changes. The serpent comes on the scene. The serpent of old, Revelation chapter 12 tells us, Revelation 12 tells us that the that the serpent in the garden was actually Satan, and embody, who embodied the creature of the serpent. And he was thrown down from heaven because of his pride. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. He was the choir director of heaven. He was the chief cherub in heaven. He was the highest of all creation of the angelic realm, and he fell because of his pride, because he wanted to be like God, and he was thrown down. And guess what he was thrown down? And guess what he did? He tried to deceive, and he did a pretty good job in Genesis chapter 3. He comes to the woman with less knowledge, and he deceives both the woman and the man, 
Adam and Eve, and they fall into sin. And you pick it up in verses 14. The question is, how will God respond? What is the first thing that He will do? And did Satan win? I mean, Satan's in this battle with God. God throws him down. So when Adam and Eve take, did Satan win? That's the question. Here's what I think, here's what I want to show you this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, that gives us some answers. And this passage is going to unwrap some things for us around this Christmas season. So let me read it for you, starting in verse 14, and we'll go to verse 20. Genesis chapter 3, first book of the Bible, first few pages of the Bible. The Lord God said to the serpent, Satan, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all the livestock, above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity or conflict between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the hill. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20, the man called his wife. Wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. This passage unwraps, first of all, why the world is the way it is. Why the world is the way it is. And I think you see that in the first section there of the fall. And then you see it in verses 14 and then 16 through 19. You see the corruption of the world. You see both relational and, and physical corruption that the world takes on because of the fall. You see viral consequences that are not just for Adam and Eve, but are for you and for me. Look at it in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Satan, because you, Satan, have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. So the first thing God curses is the serpent, is Satan. Remember what I said, the question that I asked, did Satan win? God says no. No, I'm going to curse you, Satan, and on your belly you shall go, dust shall, shall eat. I don't think the issue is the animal, the snake, okay? The, but I think what's happening here is that the snake is the symbol of the fall. Satan embodied the snake. And so when you see a snake today, most of you, I do, when I see a snake today, it freaks me out a little bit. You're meant to know that, but you're also meant to see the power of God and God putting the snake on his belly, apparently, according to Scripture. I don't know a lot more than this, but apparently a snake was a shining, upright one. And so at some point, a, a snake looked different than it does now. But now it crawls on its belly. And in the Old Testament, every time you see dust, it's a reminder of the frailty of the creation. It's a reminder of the curse. And so this is a judgment on Satan that, no, you don't win. But look at the other consequences that you see. You see it in the serpent that he's cursed. Remember, this was the choir director of heaven. This was the chief 
angelic angel in heaven. So he's cursed because of what he did, that he fell, and then he led Adam and Eve astray. And then you see it on the family. Look at it in verse 16. To the woman, he said, notice, I want you to notice this. Sometimes we get this wrong. The woman and the man, Adam and Eve, you and I aren't cursed. But there are consequences of the curse that affect us every day. I want you to know that. Sometimes we look at this and say, woman's curse, man's curse. No, people of God, people aren't cursed, but those curses has consequences to our lives every day. Look at, the, look at a consequence here. Surely I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. I don't know what childbearing was supposed to be like before the fall, but it wasn't supposed to have pain involved. There wasn't supposed to be pain involved. And I think the implication of this is not just birth, Ladies, but it's also raising kids in a fallen world. The older kids get, the more and more pain that you feel. When you say, I've told you not to do that 50 times today. Fall, okay? It's about the fall. And so raising children, both birth and raising children is made, more, is made difficult and made hard because of the fall. Amen? Your desire, look at the second consequence to the family. Your desire, talking to the woman, shall be contrary to your husband. There's a lot of ink that's been spilled on this and what this means or what this doesn't mean. But he shall rule over you. From this point forward, you can trace the history of abuses from men to women. Can you not? And you can also, from this moment forward, trace, if you go back to the garden, what was the design? The design was... I've made you in my image, both male and female, and God gave them before the fall different roles. The man to lead, the woman to love and care for the family. And so you see this pattern of roles before the fall, and here it gets more difficult. This is not easy. Parenting isn't easy. Marriage is not easy. This is why our divorce courts are full. So the fall, and look at Adam And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Do you remember what happened? Satan went to the person who had the least knowledge. God had talked to Adam and said, don't take from the tree knowledge of good and evil. Satan, the deceiver, goes to the woman, less knowledge. Where's Adam? That's the question in Genesis 3. Where is he at? He's supposed to be leading. He's supposed to be communicating. He's not there. So this is his This is his consequence. You've listened to the voice of your wife. You were supposed to lead her. You were supposed to say, no, we don't take of the tree. And look what happens. He was nowhere present. And they both take. Cursed is the ground because of you. Think about all the verses in Scripture that talk about the the curse of the earth. That there's birth pangs. That the creation longs for redemption. Just like we do. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So not only is family affected, and not only there are now challenges to family and parenting and marriage, now work is challenged. Work in Genesis 1 and 2 is what? Is it bad or is it good? It's good. They were in the garden. They were meant to till it and work it. And now it's difficult. Thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. This is going to be difficult. Work and providing for your family is going to be difficult, and you're going to worry about it and be anxious about it. This is a result of the fall. Until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and thus you shall return. That was not the plan. 
The plan in the garden was for God to work to be in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve and his creation and have fellowship. But on the day you take it, you shall die. By his grace, it wasn't that day, but he will go back to dust. And this is what you see all the way through Scripture. You see it two chapters later, and they died, and they died. This is the curse because of sin. But I want you to notice something glorious. What's the flow of the passage? It's man is tempted by Satan, gives in to sin. Is the next thing you see consequence for man? No. The next thing you see is cursing of Satan, and then you see your hope. And we're going to get into that. You see the hope and the promise, and then you see consequence. If I'm God, you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, hey, you sinned against me, I'm going to give you consequence. But hope comes before judgment. Hope comes before law. It's beautiful. That's your God. This is what you see in this text. So why is the world the way it is? In a word, fall. This is why even at Christmas we grieve for loved ones who have passed that we miss. This is why some of us have to drive across town or to another state or five hours away to see our mom because they're divorced from our dad. This is the fall, even at Christmas. This is why half of us have had the flu in the last couple of weeks. This is why we're reminded, even at Christmas, of hurt and broken relationships, of Christmas past where we've spent time with people and those relationships are broken. It reminds us, this text, of decay and death and brokenness and disease. You know, when I think of, uh, of the skeptic, I think of the Grinch, all right? I love the Grinch's fictional story of Christmas, and you, you know the Grinch's story, right? He was different than the rest of the children. Um, he was made fun of because of the way that he looked, and it made him mad. And so he goes off, and then all he gets is the garbage from the Who's. Then he observes the materialism of Christmas, or so it seems. Let me ask you a question. Is the Who's answer in Whoville, sorry, I'm going to ruin this for you. Is the Who's answer to Christmas at the end of that story, is it big enough to deal with the brokenness of the world? I just ruined the Grinch for you. That's a question. So my question to you this morning as it relates to why the world is the way it is at Christmas, how do you process the brokenness of the world when you're supposed to be celebrating Christmas? How do you view it? How do you manage your expectations of others who are broken? Where or who do you look for answers for hope? Is there enough hope for you and answers for you in the optimism and the sentimentality of Christmas? Is it a big enough story to handle the brokenness of the world? See, this passage unwraps why the world is the way it is because of the fall, and it also unwraps something else. It's going to get worse first, and then we're going to get to some good Christmas stuff in a minute, okay? Why the struggle seems to never end. Look at verse 15. The second point is why the struggle seems to never end. Look at verse 15. So we see the curse of the serpent. We see the fall. Verse 15, I will put enmity. That's conflict between you, Satan. You didn't win. And the woman. Who's the woman? We'll get to that. And between your offspring, Satan's offspring... The implication is those are unbelievers, people who don't believe in God, particularly don't believe in Christ, and her offspring, and her offspring. 
So why does the struggle never end? Because of conflict, because of rebellion is the answer. In a word, rebellion. This is what you see here. You see conflict between the evil one's offspring and the seed of woman's offspring. And the implication is that's believers in God and unbelievers. Look at the Old Testament from here forward. What do you see? You see conflict. The next chapter, what do you see? You see Cain and Abel. Conflict. You see the kingdoms of the world in conflict. You see Israel in conflict with other nations because they serve their God. You see believers and unbelievers. Today you see that in the public square. The battle for truth, ethics, values, work, marriage. This is why the New Testament say you shouldn't be equally yoked because it's not going to work out because there's conflict there between believers and unbelievers. This is what we see in Scripture. This is why the struggle doesn't end. The idea here is enmity between the woman. I think what's particularly in view the woman is, is surely um, Eve in this case. In, in the short term, but also I think it points to Mary, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate that to you, that it points to Mary in just a minute. But there's always conflict. This is why if you ever listen to podcasts, there will, it will, there will always be an endless, an endless amount of fodder because this is the original cultural war right here. If you listen to Al Mohler's The Briefing, that that. That podcast could go on forever because at every turn, the way of God is different from the way of the world. There are two kingdoms going on here. There is the kingdom of the world that is Satan's kingdom. This is why Satan was thrown down to deceive the world and God's kingdom. And this is what you see in this passage. The book of Revelation says it this way about this. Revelation 12, I gave you verse 9. Let me give you verse 17. This is Satan. Satan says he was furious. Satan was furious with the woman right here. It's a reference to here. And went off to make war with who? Her offspring. If I can't win here, I'm going to make war with the offspring of the woman. We'll get to that in a second. And who is the offspring of the woman? According to Revelation chapter 12, verses 17, those who believe in the testimony of Jesus. That's why... It gets in your crawl a little bit when the world doesn't look right, and it should. But I want to clarify a few things. I want to clarify a few things for us that are really important. There's a, a battle of good and evil going on here between Satan and God. But it's not like Star Wars. It's not like the yin and the yang. It's not a dualism. Look at chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, for the Lord God had, what's the word? Made. God made Satan. He's a created being. He's not the yin and the yang. He's not the good and the evil. Okay? He's not on God's level. God created him. He's allowed him to have reign on this earth. And so you need to know that about good and evil. The other thing you need to know um, is, it, is that we're not suggesting that other people who don't know Jesus are your enemy. They are not. As a matter of fact, that's why we're left here. That's why God hasn't taken you to glory so that you might be a witness that bears witness of Christ. But it also does some things to understand this, to understand the conflict. It helps us explain awful things like the Holocaust, like North Korea, like crazy politics. But it also helps us explain the brokenness of our life. 
that the struggle will continue. It also tells us when we plant our roots deep into the kingdom of this world, even as believers, we're misguided, right? That God has given this world over to Satan, even Texas. It's a promised land, I know. But God has given Satan for a time this world. I am suggesting something, though. I am suggesting that the gospel is the only thing that will fundamentally change people and change culture. I am suggesting, I am suggesting that the, the, the reason for our hope is found in the promise you found, you find here. There's also something interesting um, about this um, that I'm going to get to in just a minute. Um, look at the words where it says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. I think that's Mary, ultimately, and between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and her offspring. In the Bible, or today, do you ever hear anybody talking about the seed of a woman? I mean, let's think literally here for a minute. You don't hear people talking about seed of a woman because seed comes from man. You hear this in the New Testament, the seed of woman. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, you see Paul saying this, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He sent forth his son, son from the woman. That's an odd, in this day, in our day, we don't talk about seed in that way. So what are we pointing to? Even in verse 15, we're pointing to a virgin birth. We're, t- we're pointing to something unusual. If, if the people in the ancient Far East or Middle East were to read this, they would say, this doesn't make any sense. Seed of woman? There's something unusual here. They would mark it in their Bible and say, what is that? This is embryonic version of reference to the virgin birth of Jesus. It was unusual. It was miraculous. And so that's what you see. You see the picture of Christmas right here. That's what I'm suggesting. You know this song that we often sing, So it is, This is Christmas? It was written by John Lennon way back in like 1971. That was before I was born. I don't remember listening to these things. Actually, I couldn't. My parents wouldn't let me listen to anything. But Michael W. Smith, I think, maybe immigrant. Um, they may be listening. This is going to be fun. Um, John Lennon, he writes that song um, a little bit as a critique on the Vietnam War. And if you go back and look at the words of the song, it says lines like this. So this is Christmas. For the weak and the strong, for the rich and the poor, the world is so wrong. He's kind of making fun of Christmas a little bit in the song, and yet we sing it like it's a Christmas song. He's saying there's brokenness in the world, there's fall in the world, it's all around us, it's right there. People are dying And we want to celebrate Christmas and the sentimentality of Christmas and the optimism of Christmas. Look around. How do we do that? That's what he's saying. I don't think John Lennon knew the promise of the virgin birth. That Christmas was more than just Christmas trees and Christmas carols and sentimentality and optimism. So what's the point? Why does the struggle seem to never end in a word Rebellion. 
Rebellion. This is what you see here. You see it in verse 15, the conflict. You also see it when you come to the New Testament and Jesus is giving a parable, but he's basically speaking to the Jews. And he says this about the Jews. They will not have this man rule over them. Isn't that the cry of every human heart apart from Christ? Give us Barabbas. He's not our king. That's the cry of our heart without Christ. That's rebellion. We sang about it today. Is Jesus the king of your heart? Will you have a king, the Lord of lords, rule over you? Or will you live in rebellion? Where are you planting your roots? What are you chasing? Where are you investing in the kingdom of God? Well, so we've seen the fall and we've seen that rebellion produces, is produced because of enmity or conflict. Isn't this supposed to be a Christmas message? Are you going to get to any kind of hope here? Or are we just going to sit in this for a while? Third point is this. Why we still have hope. Amen? Verse 15, the second part of verse 15. So we've seen Christmas in the first part of verse 15 with her offspring, the virgin birth. Now you're going to see Easter. He, singular pronoun, Going to English class for a minute. So there's, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So I think what you see through all the Old Testament is this enmity and this conflict. You see it in the New Testament. You see it today. But I think there's something specific about the promise. He is a reference to the seed of a woman. The New Testament says that's Christ. He shall bruise your head. A head blow can be fatal. And you, the serpent, Satan, shall bruise his heel. The verses that come to mind here are from the New Testament as well. Romans 16, verse 20 says, The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Let me say that again. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. This is a reference to the cross. And I think, again, Satan thought he had won, like the garden. And yet, God's curse on Satan is his cure for sin. That's what you see here. God's curse on Satan, that you see in verse 14, is his cure for sin. You see, when you look from this point forward, even in the book of Genesis, um, with Moses, you come to chapter 12, and you come to a place where God is saying, and he's calling Abram, he's calling him out, and he's going to make him the father of the nation Israel, and what does he promise him? He promises him land, he promises him blessing, and he promises him seed. I will make you a great nation, and they're looking around, and Sarah is late, and she's like, I don't know if we're going to have a baby here, we're supposed to be a great nation. And what happens? You have Isaac. You have the offspring. The covenant promise goes to Isaac, not Ishmael. And all the way through the Old Testament, this is what you see. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. And you come to Matthew 1. And Matthew's pointing, and he's talking to the Jews, and he's saying, this is the line of Messiah. He comes from here, from Genesis 3 through the prophets to Matthew chapter 1, you see the coming of Messiah. This is why we have hope. 
You see the deliverer versus the serpent, the heel wound, the head wound. You see this battle of champions that happens now on a Roman cross. And there's great pain. Christ died and Satan thought he won. But we know better. There was a resurrection. And Jesus won the victory on the cross when Satan thought he had won. It is finished. The debt is paid. The curse is paid. Death is paid in full at the cross. And this is why while we still struggle and we live in brokenness, we can have hope. So why is the world the way it is? The world is the way it is because of the fall. Why does the struggle seem never to end? Because of rebellion. But why do we have hope? In a word, promise. Promise right here of Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter in one verse. That's our hope. This reminds us of our sure hope of Christmas. It's ultimately found in Easter and resurrection. Listen, that's a story in a Christmas season that has brokenness around it that I can buy into. That's better than the Who's down in Hooville. That's better than Elf spreading Christmas cheer for all to hear. This gives us hope, real hope through brokenness. So Santa Claus, the Who's in Whoville, that's not a big, big enough storyline for the brokenness of this world, is it? But let me give you a headline that is. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. This is a headline that is big enough to deal with the brokenness and the fall of this world. For us, for, for to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. And the government shall, shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of his increase and of his government. And of peace thou shir- there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from the time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's a message. That's a headline I can put my hope in. That's a promise that I can rest in. That's faith that I can have. That's a promise I can live for. What does that look like in your life this week, in my life this week, C3? Here's your takeaway. Lean into the brokenness with hope of the promise. Lean into the brokenness with the hope of the promise in your own life, in your own junk, but also there are people all around you that don't have the hope that many of you have, and they're looking for answers. They may be like the Grinch. They may be like Ebenezer Scrooge. You have a hope that's within you that is greater than that. Let's share the message of the, of the gospel with people this Christmas. May you pray that God will give you opportunity with your neighbors and your friends to say, hey, let me tell you about real hope, real hope that's bigger than Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Let me tell you about the hope of Christmas and Easter. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message that answers a lot of big questions that we have. 
that answers the question of why the world is the way it is, that answers the question, why do we continue to struggle? But more than anything, it answers the question of where we find hope. We find hope in the promise, the seed of a woman who would crush the serpent's head. We thank you for the, even at Christmas, we thank you for the virgin birth, but the virgin birth looks forward to the cross where Satan was defeated. And so we can celebrate the new life we have in Christ because of the hope of the gospel. So Lord, make us a people that press into that, that lean into that when we're experiencing brokenness in our parenting, experiencing brokenness in our marriage, when we're experiencing brokenness at our work, when we're experiencing the brokenness of relationship and life and death. Remind us of the hope that you give us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.